Welcome to Learn to Build a Business Podcast, the show that brings you insights, stories, and strategies from those who've made the leap from working professionals to successful entrepreneurs. With your host, Ray Ortega. Welcome. Welcome to the Learn to Build a Business Podcast, the show that shows you insight stories and strategies of those who have made the leap to a working from a working professional to a successful entrepreneur. I'm your host, Ray Ortega, and today we have a special guest, and my special guest is someone that I know very personally, and I love working with him, Brian Hamawi. Say hi, Brian, while you're there. What, what's <laughs> up, Mr. Ray? How are you? What's up, man? So Brian is actually a serial entrepreneur. Um, I've known him for years, and he's one of the few people that I know that has went from product idea to product creation to acquisition. And then now he's been working in several areas, including real estate. And so I'm glad to have him on this podcast. Um, his product, by the way, that he uh, was able to get acquired was called My Guest Book. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that, but some other things today. And so again, just want to welcome him. And so let's dive into the podcast. So Brian, Man, I am so excited to be here today. I'm finally, I finally got you. <laughs> yeah, you did. You caught me. You caught me on a good day. My that's wife a, let me go awesome. for, for about 10, 15, 20, maybe 30 minutes. We'll see. She oh, loosened awesome. the reins. Yeah. So, and you know, the thing is, so this podcast that you know is where this, we're, we have a whole brand called learn to build a business.com. Uh, um, it's a brand that we're launching. It's kind of something that is a spinoff of what we kind of do over here at Grata Software. And the reason why we're doing this is because we found a lot of entrepreneurs or a lot of people who want to be entrepreneurs who are working at a corporate job, just have trouble and struggles making the transition to being their own boss being self-employed, being a business owner. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to provide an avenue for them, kind of like a guide, a way to get from those from that position, from a working professional to an entrepreneur. And so this podcast is essentially a supplemental uh, content for them so that they can hear the stories of people like yourself that have gone through this process and how you've gone through this process. And maybe hopefully they'll be inspired to, uh, you know, step into that realm of entrepreneurship or even if they are an entrepreneur and they have a business and maybe it's not working for them, then maybe they can find some inspiration in what you have to say and then kind of grow from there. So that's what this whole podcast is all about. I absolutely love the concept. And, and I'll just get started really quick with, mm -hmm. or by saying that any entrepreneur that hasn't struggled is lying to you. Absolutely. Uh, or they haven't built it from the ground up. Um, I, I find, and <clears throat> it doesn't matter what entrepreneur or any true business person that you talk to at some point in their lives, they failed, they've struggled. Some of them have slept on benches and uh, worked their way up. So uh, I, I think that a true entrepreneur actually has to go through those motions to build a business that can sustain the time of life. So uh, uh, kudos to you guys for putting this together. I appreciate that, man. And, you know, and me being in the same boat, you know, both of us are entrepreneurs. You know, I definitely agree with everything you're saying. And, um, and you're right. It is something that we all have to go through it. Um, uh, you can't, you can't like think your way through that whole process or kind of like in your mind go, okay, well, let me not run into these issues. Let me try to figure out all the ways I never fail or never have a problem. Like you just have to go through it. Like it's just the way yeah. you learn through that process. So on that note, tell us a little bit of how, how you got inspired to be an entrepreneur um, and you know, what motivated you or whatever your career path was that motivated you. Uh, to become an entrepreneur? Honestly, I think I was born to be an entrepreneur. And and <clears throat> I say that with, with all my being. 
Um, I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. My great grandfather was an entrepreneur. My grandfather was an entrepreneur and everybody around me growing up was an entrepreneur. And so I think from the day that I was born, I lived inside of an office. I was surrounded by incredibly intelligent people. And I knew nothing other than to be creative, uh, to want to be my own boss, to build things and think outside of the box and just grow. Um, and that, even when I didn't have anything, was always my aspiration. Uh, you know, I came to the US and uh, my dad had passed away early, very early um, in my life. Well, I was about 18 years old and, and basically left us with nothing. And uh, I had the option of either staying back home and really trying to build something in a country where opportunity was very small or coming back to the US with literally $300 or $100 in my pocket and figuring myself out. And that's exactly what I did. I left absolutely everything behind came to the US. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I lived in my car for a month. I was running in and out of friends' houses. and um, But I always knew at some stage in my life, I would have a business. I would build a business and do something creative with my life and then hopefully inspire other people to do the same thing. Nice. When do you think was the first time that you actually like really stepped out into becoming an entrepreneur? So. Um, the first time I really did it was 2007. I was working at a restaurant, was working for one of my best friends. And uh, I was working about 100 hours a week, getting paid 250 bucks a week. And oh, wow. I was, yeah, so I, I was working <laughs> a ton. And, but I always had this very creative mind. Now, mm -hmm. uh, through that same person, in the building I was working in was a gentleman. He was the original guy that built the photography systems for Disney World and Universal Studios. And um, he had built a product and it was a little disposable cameras and you could customize the whole entire camera and it, whatever. So the owner of the restaurant, which was my, my, my friend's father, he came up to me and he's like, I know you wanna build a business. The guy upstairs has this product. Go take a look at it and see what you can do with it. So. I went upstairs, I introduced myself, and uh, I looked at the product. I was like, yeah, I'll take it on. So one of the very first things that I did with the product was I went to the local Harley Davidson store. Mm -hmm. uh, I introduced it to those guys and I said, these are disposable cameras. We can customize the whole entire thing. And uh, would you guys be interested? And she said, yeah, let's try it. So we sold her her first store. And now these guys are the largest retailers for Harley Davidson in the world. Oh, they owned at that time, I think they had eight or nine stores. And then at some point they had about 18. Um, but everything gets tested at the local Orlando Harley Davidson store. So we tested one camera. Uh, within a week we sold, and she ordered her minimum order with 72 cameras. One week we sold all 72. So she calls me up. She goes, Brian, sold all 72 cameras. We need to reorder. And I said, okay. So she goes, I'm going to double the order, 144 cameras. It's a great got them in. She put them in the store a week later. She sold out. Nice. And she said, okay, I can't order anymore. And I said, what the heck do you mean you can't <laughs> order anymore? And that literally was the beginning of a journey in building a company. Um, we ended up having to go to Orlando Harley corporate. Um, I ended up having to borrow some money, money from my partners. Um, mm -hmm. So I had two friends and um, we borrowed 5,000 bucks. 
went to uh, Orlando Corporate, got the license for Harley Davidson. That was my very first license ever. Nice. Went to the conference two months later. And at that conference in three days, we were in about 900 stores. And that was the beginning of my first company. That's awesome, man. And so you touched on two things there that I wanted to I wanted to go back on. So first of all, it was it was a product that wasn't necessarily yours, right? You're reselling nope. someone else's products because I know that's always um, one of the things that people do when they first start to when they think about starting a business is they're like, do I build something from scratch? Uh, do I you know do I license someone else's stuff? Like so that's a great story and how you took a product that existed and kind of made it your own and and went out and sold it. Um, and then the second thing is you talk about the funding part. Um, that's another part of entrepreneurship that uh, some people, you know, just uh, they're not sure of is, OK, when do I get funding? When do I fund my idea? Right. Um, and and to, in today's world, everyone talks about these startups that automatically go to venture capitals and get a huge amount of money in order to start building out a product. But in your experience, you know, you went out and got the funding on your own and uh, to build a product or to build the business that you were trying to build. That's right. Everybody yeah. was calculated. I, I didn't actually have a choice. I either found some money from somewhere because I had 250 bucks that I had to pay uh, either my car payment or my rental payment. I didn't really have an option to pay both and then make this work. So I didn't have an alternative other than to ask friends and family for some money and get started. And then I basically said, lend me the money. I'll pay it back. I don't know how, but this thing's going to work. So I'll get it back to you. And they believed in us. So with that, with that first week in Austin, we, uh, we paid that back within the first 24 hours. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. That's a good story. So tell me about your um, transition from that into going into more of a technology role, right? Yeah. Um, and building uh, your first, well, I don't know if it's your first product. What was your first actual technology product that you built after that? It was guestbook. It was guestbook. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we, um, and it was, again, it was a product that came out of something that I found a need for. So every product that I've built, every product, every business that I've built has always been surrounded around something that I understand really well. I understand the market. I understand the people. I understand the consumers. So it's not something that I'm diving into with absolutely no knowledge. It's not like I'm saying to you, hey, Ray, let's go build X, Y, and Z. I have no clue who my target people are, but I I really do know exactly who I'm targeting, what they're looking for, and I'm building a product around it. So our second product was Guestbook, and that was a whole different beast. Uh, Technology is, it's difficult. Um... It's difficult because you've got to have an understanding on the business aspect. You have to have a bit of understanding on the technology, what you're looking to do with that technology. You have to build an excellent, I'm not talking about a decent team, an excellent team around you if you want some sort of success. Um, And you've got to have an enormous amount of patience. Yeah. So I was very, very fortunate um, that... I had a concept. I, I this concept came out of um, I built my one of my first companies was a property management companies in uh, the vacation rental space, and I understood the industry really well. And one of the things that I noticed was every time these travelers came into the into the houses, I was finding all these calendars posted on the walls. I'm like, man, what the hell is all of this? And it turned out that 
in Orlando specifically, people travel in very large groups. So you'd have people from all sorts, parts of the country, world coming together, and then they'd try to tack Disney and Universal and the dinners and the this and the that. And they didn't really have a good mechanism to be able to collaborate. And yeah. so um, the second part of that was that the information that was given to them wasn't accurate because every time you put a piece of information inside of the house, there was a new restaurant that popped up down the road or there was a new rule, rule or regulation that came up. And so I started to put together this idea of what we call a guest book. And these are books that live inside of the homes that just give information. And what I wanted to do was digitize this book and make it easy for property managers or hosts to be able to deliver that information to the guest. And so I spec'd it all out. I uh, ended up finding a really good friend of mine. He was also a property manager. And I said, hey, let me show this product to you. What do you think of the concept? And he absolutely fell in love with it and said, I'm going to do this with you. And it turned out he used to be one of my homeowners. And uh, so we spent about two years putting together the concept. And um, I was at home one day, actually, I was at my mother and father-in-law's uh, house. We were having a barbecue and some friends came over. And uh, my mother-in-law says, why don't you pitch your idea to this gentleman, to Alex? And I said, okay. And uh, he's a wealthy guy. His family was one of the very first tour operators that came out of the UK. And I showed him the product and he goes, this is amazing. And said, how much do you need it? And I said, gave him the amount. He said, done. Yeah. And within about two weeks, I was funded for that first phase. Now, it was a really interesting time. I've never really raised the kind of capital that I did at that time. It was, it was a can good you, lump sum of money. Can you say the capital? Are you allowed to say the capital or are you? We you... raised about, it was north of $200,000 okay. um, between family, friends. And yeah, I had never, I had never done that. I hadn't, never really had the need to raise that kind of money. And, uh, but it changed the dynamics of everything. So I received the money and the very first thing that I had to do was actually plan the business. Mm -hmm. So put a business plan together, understand the construction of the application, um, and then start to assemble a team. And that was the beginning of Guestbook. Um, though number one thing I think I did was I put my entire thought process onto a piece of paper and I went through it with a fine tooth comb. And I also understood my MVP with help, mm -hmm. um, but I also understood the future of the product. And I think that if you're going to build a product, it's not the product of today. Today is a very simple version. You, what you have to understand is where you're going. What's the future of the project? Yeah. Um, and, and that really helps in the evolution and the construction of the product. But that's really where you came in. Yeah. And when I met you, you already had a product. I mean, the product was already there and you already had customers. Um, and yep. so I guess my question to you is, you know, you got the funding, uh, you started building the product, but how did you start acquiring the customers? Like what, the, what was the process you went through? Because you had a pretty good customer base when I met you. Um, yeah. the, the, that was already on the platform. So um, just walk us through how, how did you generate your customer base and how were you able to acquire those customers on your platform? Again, very strategically, I understood my market really well. I, uh, I knew the technology platforms. 
So I knew that one of the ways to uh, acquire cu a customer base was through the technology platforms that already already existed in the marketplace. Uh, so what we did was we picked a few softwares and we did full integrations. And uh, through those integrations, we started to acquire those customers. And um, we didn't have to necessarily go to market like a traditional product and try to acquire customers. Uh, yeah. We found that it was it was an expensive exercise. It was a very time-consuming exercise exactly. um, and very complicated. But um, we also didn't need, we, we really didn't need um, validation from our customers on what we were building Agreed. because uh, it was coming through the software partners. Yeah. Well, and that's great because, you know, um, I don't know if you ever follow Alex Harmozy. And he I talks. Love to, I actually just saw him in person. We just saw did? him in San Diego. Yeah. Oh, oh my man. gosh. He, he was yeah. out of this world. So he and for has those his, of you like, guys that don't know yeah. Alex, you need to go go do go find him. Find him on Instagram. Go find him yeah. on YouTube. I actually watch him all the time. He's a phenomenal guy. Yeah, he's got this the four quadrants of how to gain customers, right? And he talks about like you know you go out, you get your own customers, you go with channel partners. Right. Yep. And then the other one is social media and then ads. Right. Those are the ways you get your customers. And um, so you're what you're talking about is you used a channel partner, essentially, in order to generate right. your customer base in that scenario. Yeah. Um, you didn't have to do advertising at the point. At that point, at least when I met you, there was no advertising. Right. No, but it was hit, I had to hit the pavement. And yeah. that's that essentially is what I'm really good at. I'm I'm good at networking. I know my strengths. Um, I then started to hire people around me that filled the gaps that I wasn't good at. And, and I think that that's, for me, that's one of the most essential components to building a good company is surrounding yourself by people that do the job so much better than you do. I do it now. I don't do my social media, right? I, I hired somebody to help <laughs> me do it because I can't do it. I'll record all day, but I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, but it's true. Yeah. What do you think uh, was probably the biggest struggle or or the biggest challenge that you had with my guest book, um, you know, as you were going through the process of building the company, building your client base, and then, you know, uh, getting to where you got to with it. A giant vision. Um, I want it so much. Uh, and um, I think I'm a, I'm a big visionary. I have big ideas. And one of the hardest things I, I had or was a challenge for me was being able to come down with a very trimmed down version of the product in order mm -hmm. to be able to launch it. Uh, in hindsight, knowing what I know now, I wish I would have uh, been able to trim down the product a lot more, get to market quicker, uh, test the product a little bit better, um, and then continue to add on uh, product to it. The other side of that was understanding technology. I, I think my lack of understanding platforms and construction of technology um, and how to hire for it was a pretty big detriment uh, to the platform at the beginning um, because it was so expensive. So, and I'll preface that with the money that I spent, uh, I spent extremely well. So I hired the best designer I could find. And it wasn't somebody that was inside of my industry. It was somebody that was outside of my industry. I hired two of the best engineers I could find. One of them came from Zenga. The other guy came from TravelZoo. So we're talking about very high level engineers. <laughs> what ended up happening was I started running out of funds. And when I ran out of funds, 
then we had to start sourcing engineers from other places that were more cost effective. And that was the beginning of a very disastrous um, <laughs> downturn, which is where you came into play and basically saved the products. Yeah. And, uh, and just to uh, add a little color to the story is the, um, if I remember correctly, the original good developers, their platform was the right uh, direction. Because yep. when we looked at it and we analyzed everything, we realized that the new direction that the uh, the offshore, let's say, people were using um, was actually costing you more money and not getting you to where you need to be. Um, whereas the original developers were the ones that were actually doing it the right way. And so, that's right. And so, and then we ended up uh, pivoting back to that. If I remember yeah. correctly, we pivoted back to the old platform and then kind of like did our thing in order to get it to where to where it would uh, get rid of some of the issues that were the platform had at the time. So yeah, and I think I think one of the biggest mistakes that I did was I didn't have a lead. So I had a very good, uh, I had a very good, I had I was very good at business, had a very good designer, <laughs> and the most important important component inside of the business was the engineering, <laughs> and I lost that head engineer um, because it was so expensive. The truth is, it actually cost me about nine months of development time. And a small fortune because all of that time that we spent engineering with a lesser quality, we ended up having to scrap it. Remember? I mean, you yeah. came in and you were like, all right, we, we've got to regress. We've got like seven yeah. or eight months. We've got to go back. And that was, that was hard to swallow. It was very hard to explain to my, uh, to my investors. <laughs> I remember that, but I remember we got it done pretty quickly, right? The turnaround was pretty fast um, yeah. because we were actually... I remember the day that I was, uh, and and this is not the business side of the conversation, this is the technical right now. Um, just to explain, like, I remember sitting at a alehouse. At the, remember that one day there was something the really bad it happened. Was two o'clock in the morning, there was like a security, a security flaw that 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 came out of nowhere, and um, and was, I was at an alehouse and I had to pull out my laptop and essentially fix the problem as I was sitting there in the in the, the and the alehouse had closed. So I was yep. literally sitting in the patio area. Everyone's gone, and I'm just sitting there by myself trying to fix a security flaw. Um, it was uh, yeah. ten thousand emails went out within about a ten minute span, and I was frantic. And to this day, yeah, I have to be one hundred percent honest. I hate email. I hate I it bet. with every <laughs> ounce of my being. Every yeah. time I send an email, I, I I look at it, I review it fifty times. And any platform that has email components to it scares the hell right. out of me. But so I love that's, it. And the reason why I wanted to touch on that, and I'm glad you touched on that because, um, and this goes back to the business side. Sometimes in business, we think that if we go to a more lower cost solution, um, and, and when I say low cost solution in the tech world, I'm talking about you're using offshore or nearshore um, developers or you know whatever tech, tech people. Um, we think that we're getting a lower cost, so therefore we're going to save a, a ton of money. Um, the part that that nobody wants to talk about, I feel like nobody wants to talk about because they want to hide the fact that uh, I get a developer for ten dollars an hour or fifteen dollars an hour instead of fifty dollars an hour in America, and they think that they're the they're that's what they're selling, and that's what people are buying into. What they don't realize is there is technical debt that happens because of that. Um, a lot of the offshore teams either don't have the same skill set or they don't have the leader. 
Like they don't mm-hmm. have someone that's leading them into making sure things are done the right way. So they just do exactly what you as the customer ask. They don't ask any questions. They don't dive any deeper. They just do exactly what you ask. And unfortunately, sometimes going the more cost-effective route, which looks like it's more cost-effective up front, doesn't necessarily always mean you're going to get the best product out of it. And so... Absolutely. And, and I think that that's probably true in any business aspect. A- any business yeah. you go into, I, I don't care if it's you're developing technology or you're... I don't know, selling ice cream. I don't care what it is. Or if you're hiring coaches, mm. I've seen that with coaching. Like when you're hiring coaches, yeah. business coaches, like I've seen where, you know, there's people that call themselves business coaches that are like, oh yeah, you know, I only charge like, you know, $25, $30, you know, for an hour session. And you talk to them and you're like, okay, great. I mean, you had some information that could be useful, but then you 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 hire someone that's charging you like $10,000 and they're like, and you're blown away. You're walking away going, oh my gosh, this is a whole life changer, business changer. Like it's crazy. So there's a, so like you said, it's like, it's, it's in everything. It's not just in tech, it's in all other aspects. Like sometimes the more cost-effective or what looks to be cost-effective isn't necessarily the best option um, for you as a company, uh, especially when you're trying to grow and scale your business. So I think uh, most people realize that. And uh, when it comes down to it, people still make the decision to go down the cheaper route until it burns up. Yeah. Um, and so in some instances, you almost have to go down that path, experience it. And this is where experience is part of it. Uh, you get burned and then you're going to come back and say, I'll never do that again. And that's that's been very true for us. Exactly. So let's move on to like, okay, so, you know, we got my guest book back to where, you know, it was, it was fruitful, right? Um, now, I don't know this story because this like happened out of nowhere. You came to me one day and said, hey, someone wants to buy my company. I don't yeah. know the whole story behind it or anything. So if you could, el- I don't know how much you elaborate on, but what led to that whole process of of, uh, of that acquisition? Well, part of it was, uh, and, and remember, this was, this is my baby. And yeah. till this day, I don't think the industry has produced, and I'm super clear, a piece of technology that was so comprehensive as Guestbook was. Um, I think that we were so advanced even back I don't know, what was it, 2017? Yes. Um, yeah. Even the technology that's being built today is still trying to catch up to what we built back then. Mm-hmm. That's how that's how uh, impressive that piece of software was. Yeah. Not just because it was mine, but people actually, last week somebody called me and asked me where the software is, and I said, on a shelf somewhere. Um, but um, it came down to money and it came down to teams. So we raised as much capital as, as we could. Uh, and I, again, I, am, I don't come from the venture capital world. Um, we had a lot of tech debt. And so I needed to find a solution to be able to continue uh, the development of Guestbook or shelf it all together, give up. Yeah. And that for me was a basically a no. I, I just couldn't give up a product. So what we did was, we went out and we sourced a few companies that we thought would be a really good fit uh, for Guestbook as a partner uh, and as an owner of the technology. And we positioned the sale uh, for them to take it on and then take on the project and expand the project. And that's exactly what happened. We ended up vetting a few companies and then a couple of them came forward. And uh, one of them decided to do an acquisition uh, and we sold the product to Blue Tent, 
Was it the perfect acquisition? No, um, but it was better than shutting down the doors uh, because the opportunity behind Guestbook was so big that I would have rather given it the chance with somebody that had deeper pockets than us, that had engineering talent, that had design talent internally um, to see if we could actually take the product to the next level. And well, so we did that deal and it was challenging. Uh, it was probably, it was a really cool experience actually. So I ended up being, I sold the company and I went from being the leader of and visionary of this company to an employee. Uh, I got to head up the project, but one of the experiences that I had, and, and you were involved with it to some degree, mm -hmm. uh, but we ended up having to strip the software down to its bare bones. I remember that. And to me, you know, some of it was just crazy. I looked at it and I was like, what in the world are we doing? It turned out that the company was a marketing company. It was, it was at that time, it was the largest marketing company in, in our industry. It was a phenomenal company, great leaders, uh, Ned Lux and Peter Scott. And then my product partner was Tom Kenyon. And uh, I had an email partner. His name was Ryan and phenomenal people. And, and honestly, uh, part of the deal was I sold the company, but they were based out of right outside of Aspen, Colorado. So I said, you buy this company. I'm fine with it. You're giving me a position and I'm moving out to Colorado. And so that was kind of part of the structure because I said, I'll never get the opportunity to move to Aspen if I don't do it now. <laughs> so it was just a really good excuse. Yeah. So we moved out to Colorado and, um, I was surrounded by about 45, 50 of the smartest marketing human beings I could have been. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but we literally took Guestbook, stripped it down to its bones, implemented new email software into it. We took a bunch of functional functionality out of it. And uh, it was literally an MVP. Yeah. Um, a lot of the technology, a lot of the things we spent uh, a, a lot of time on, they just didn't see the value in it. Yeah. And then, uh, so we spent about eight, nine months doing that. Uh, and when we launched within that first month of launch, we signed up about 22 customers and that represented, I don't know, it was about two and a half thousand vacation homes. Yeah. Um, it was Well, and that's insanity. the thing that changed. I just want to jump in here because that, that was the thing that also changed was, well, not changed, but that was the key to the product. Um, so people understand the customer. It wasn't a person that you were charging by. You were charging by the amount of properties and the amount of that, that are actually being imported. So you could have five customers who are a large whale of a client and can have thousands of properties that you're going to load onto this thing. So that's, mm -hmm. well, I want to make that distinction. Let's backtrack because yep. when I first launched Guestbook, I don't know if you remember this, but we did a freemium. Our <laughs> revenue, so our revenue model was always based on a consumption. Uh, <laughs> we went uh, B2C. So we <laughs> were... We had our software and inside of the software, we were, we had the ability to sell things like Disney tickets, universal tickets. And so the idea was our margins were fairly healthy inside of the software where we didn't really have to charge our customers for the software. What we wanted to do was the, is sell those, those products, sell those services through the software. Yeah. When I moved to Bluetent, they took the complete opposite approach. Yep. which was instead of selling that product, which we stripped out entirely, 
we are going to charge for the software. Yeah. And it was something that I was honestly very scared of because I had, uh, I met it with a lot of resistance. Uh, it's not something that I saw enough value in. Their customer base saw enormous value in. So what was also really cool about the software was it gave me the opportunity to see things from a very different perspective. Um, what I thought people wouldn't pay for, they did, and they saw more value in those aspects of that software than yeah. I would have ever imagined. Yeah. Um, so you have to be open to uh, people telling you, giving you advice, and taking that advice, considering it, and possibly implementing it and testing it. Yeah. Testing's okay. And regressing is okay as well. Yeah. And but if you, you don't test and regress, you don't know. So there's several points that I wanted to go back to because you you hit on several points all at once. So um, the first point was the fact that, um, you know, and the reason why I went back to before the acquisition is I want people to understand that sometimes in a business, you could be super successful financially. Like for instance, my company, Grata Software, we've, we reached over a million dollars, right? In revenue for the year. However, that doesn't mean we're sitting pretty on, you know, a beach somewhere and living life. Like everything exponentially increases as well. All your costs, yes. because you're hiring people and all stuff like that. So as the business grows, it, it's like um, the volatility of, of your cash flow also grows. It's the waves are much greater. Your, your, your peaks and valleys are what much greater. So in the situation with my guest book, like you reach, I would say a value at, value at this point where it didn't matter that you had customers, didn't matter you had business, didn't matter you had people coming in and you're still selling. Like you had to make a decision that was like, okay, well, I don't know if I can survive this valley. I yeah. think I need to go find either funding or like you said, funding or find a partner that's going to come in and help. And that's kind of where the acquisition comes in. The acquisition was, yes, we love this product. We'll take it on because we see value in this product. But like you said, they saw a different value than what you saw. And so, cause I was in the same boat with you, right? When they took it, they're like, we're gonna strip all this stuff. And we're sitting there going, man, this is like, this is what the product <laughs> is, you know? But then, you know, as as we kept meeting with, um, I think it was Ted, Ted Lux or whatever, like, is, and he kept explaining to me why we were taking apart certain pieces of the technology and then implementing other technology he was kind of explaining to me where the value adds were coming and all where, where the extra revenue streams were going to start coming from. And it was like starting to make sense. And like you said, yeah, at some point you're just like, okay, well, this, this seems like it'll work. You know, um, you know, I'm glad we were part of that project because we got to stay on for what, six months or eight months or something. And now yep. work with Blue Tent, you know, so the same thing we were doing for you, we got to work with Blue Tent and do the same thing for them and implement those technologies into the platform. So I think that was, that, that was really fun. Uh, to do. And like you said, it was a huge learning experience because um, we had been through a couple of acquisitions before, but our acquisitions we had been through didn't require us to stay on. So it mm. was like, this was the first one we actually learned the whole acquisition process and also was stayed on as the consultant, you know, the technical consultant throughout the whole acquisition. I, th I thought was pretty cool. Um, but you touched on several good points there. Um, and like you said, uh, learning from the advice you were given and then saying, okay, yeah, this there, now I see what the value that you you feel like this product has. Um, and, yep. and I thought that was pretty cool. So, yeah, uh, And acquisitions aren't always uh, everything you imagine they're going to be. Um, 
Blue Tent proved to me that they had, it's not that they had a different vision, they had a different application. Their product did something different. What they saw is that my guest book filled a gap for them and got them to the next step in their products. Yeah. And so they only took the pieces that they needed. The other thing I'm going to say is uh, a lot of people, when they look for funding, um, they look at shows like Shark Tank and they, you know, sometimes it is much better to give up 90% of your company and keep 10% of that company if you have the right partners. Um, because they can grow it so much bigger than you will ever have the capacity to do. So taking that risk, understanding how to take that risk, asking for advice on how to position yourself so you don't get kicked out is really important. But sometimes giving up equity isn't always the worst thing to do, uh, especially if that company reaches unicorn status, billion dollars. If you guys don't know what a unicorn status is, I'd love to have 10% of a billion dollars. Absolutely. Uh, rather Agreed. than having a 10 or 50% of a $10 million company. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. So you need to understand who your partnerships are, um, where their visions are, and make, again, it comes down to your strategies. Uh, know what your strategic choices are, make the right moves, and that will get you to the next level. Uh, and sometimes you just exit and move on to the next project. And that's okay too. So you touched on a good point there because you you are one of those people that move on and go on to the next project. So explain to me what you've done since since uh, leaving uh, Blue Tent, right? And going out to other ventures. Like uh, what other ventures have you jumped into and, and where do you find yourself now? Yeah, so I did, after leaving Blue Tent, they actually ended up getting acquired in 2019 by a much bigger conglomerate. They're a massive company in the industry, uh, vacation rental industry. Uh, I decided to move on and I became the vice president of operations for another software company um, in the vacation rental space. And then went from there, moved back to Orlando. Uh, and this was during COVID, well, actually right before COVID. Um, and was the VP of business development and marketing and uh, strategies for an operational piece of software here in Orlando, uh, again, in the vacation rental space. I did that for about a year and a half. Good friends of mine, uh, loved the job, loved what I did over there. Uh, but I decided that being an employee of somebody wasn't my path. And so in 2019, when we moved back to Orlando, we decided to take uh, some funds we acquired. Uh, so we were on the other side. We did an acquisition. We bought a real estate company here in, in the Champions Gate area, operated it for about two years. And uh, last year, actually two years ago, I uh, decided to leave the software company and come and join my wife and build and grow this uh, real estate company. Uh, so we own a property management company. We did open another short-term rental uh, management business. I yeah. sold that already. And uh, I purely do real estate, real estate development, doing tons of content, doing coaching, yeah. life coaching, business, all of that kind of stuff. And uh, I got some stuff cooking as well. So. I bet. 
I bet you always have something. (laughs) You always send me those text messages. I got an idea. Ray, what do you think we should do here? (laughs) This one's, uh, this one should be launching in January. That's awesome, man. Uh, yeah. And that's, you know, it's a good testament to, um, entrepreneurship in general, because like you said, sometimes we're just not good employees and we just don't like working for other people. Um, so, uh, so Adam, all of your experiences up to today, what would you say is probably the biggest lesson that you learned um, going the whole entrepreneurship route? Oh, man. Um, I think one of them is if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you have to be willing to take a risk. That's number one. The second one is if you do take a risk, don't be scared of failure. Um uh, and because the probabilities are that you will probably fail, but on your next venture, you'll understand that those failures are teaching you success. So uh, those are probably two of the biggest things. The other thing is don't rush it. Uh, there's a process to doing things. Um, rushing a process can be the detriment of the success of your company. Take it step by step. Surround yourself by the right people um, and learn. Learn, 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 learn as much as you possibly can. Everything, everything you do, anyone you hire, you should know as much as those people. Uh, And if you don't, learn from those people. And at some point, make sure that you're on some level ground. Awesome. What uh, I was going to ask you this question, but you kind of answered already. So um, what book, if there is a book that you would recommend someone read to uh, become an entrepreneur or books or series, uh, what would you recommend? You know what? I'm going to ask everybody to uh, listen to Bob Proctor. He is one of my all-time favorite guys. Um, this just he's, he's written multiple books. Go and pick one up. Any one of them. It doesn't matter. Uh, he's a phenomenal human being. He puts you into the right mindset. He understands... Uh, Wealth on multiple levels, on the business level, on a personal level. Um, and he really does help people frame their minds for success. And success means so many different things to so many pe- different people. And uh, I think that he's probably one of those guys that will help you just understand where you're going. Um, some really cool strategies. If you're curious about some of his books and, and uh, want to talk about some of the strategies, I'm happy to do that. Awesome, man. Thanks for all that feedback. Um, So that kind of wraps up this uh, whole interview. And I just want to say thank you to Brian for coming uh, and sharing stuff. stuff. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Um, So yes, if you're someone who's looking at entrepreneurship, something that you're trying to get into or you're struggling to get into it, um, I hope Brian's story inspires you to, you know, take the take the leap or at least learn a little bit more about how to become an entrepreneur and take these, uh, you know, take the leap into becoming one, obviously. Um, obviously, Brian's journey is an inspiration. And I hope that uh, if you have any questions or anything, uh, please definitely send them to myself. Brian, is there anywhere they can contact you if they have any questions? Yeah, you know what? Actually, I'll send you all of my links. I've got LinkedIn, uh, Brian Hamali, just search me. I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram. YouTube, I'm everywhere. Just look up my name, but I'll send all the links over to Ray and uh, we'll get it to you. Awesome. And I'll make sure I'll put that, you know, attach that to the video um, in the course and also wherever else we put it. Um, so again, thank you again, Brian. I appreciate you Thanks, being Ray. here. And uh, and I look forward to, uh, you know, because we're still going to do stuff together in the future. I know it. Yep. So 
It's uh, coming. It. Yeah. And for those watching, thank you for watching. And uh, again, I hope you take the first step into your entrepreneurial journey. Again, if you're in the course, thank you very much. Thank you for being a part of it. Um, if you're not in the course and you're watching this somewhere else, definitely check out learntobuildabusiness.com and see what we have to offer. We have a free uh, course that shows you how to find the right business for you, find the right customer, and also how to market to those customers. And so, and I hope with Brian's story, that kind of inspires you to go looking into that. So thank you very much. And we'll see you guys in the next one.